The thing about the Mariners is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> we were watching the game, I think it was, what's today? Must have been Friday night. And we, it was like the seventh inning, it was four to four. So we went to bed, woke up, and they lost 15 to four. <laughs> I mean, it's like a box of chocolates. Then they beat them yesterday. Anyway, we're here for other things. I am going to continue every week to remind you we have our prayer bowl and our praise bowl, our trumpet bowl. So if you have a prayer that you would like us to be praying for, you put it in that bowl. We'll immediately pray for that, and then it will be prayed for once a month at least by one person individually, either at our hour of prayer or through the a prayer that I, that I send them out. Uh, every Monday and every Saturday, I send a batch out to anyone that's on that list. If you want to be a part of that, just email me. I'll include you in it. You'll get four prayers each week to just pray through for our church. My house should be called a house of prayer. Amen? So also, tomorrow night, we're going to be having our monthly praying for souls. So it's, it's in the um, fellowship hall. It's one hour, 6.30 to 7.30. We're just asking the Lord to bring people to know him and to be saved. And that goes from our little ones right up on through, through uh, many people that we know. And God said to pray, and, and he will hear our prayers. This is according to his will. So if we pray according to his will, we know that he hears our prayers. And if we hear them, we know we have what we petitioned him about. Amen? So praying for souls. That's tomorrow night. Uh, then also on Saturday, we have our hour of prayer. It's from 8 to 9. There's also one that's online. If you go to Calvary Chapel, uh, ccskent.org slash prayer, you'll see it there. And it's online, and that's going just as gangbusters as our one here on Saturday morning. We're just continuing to pray every... In fact, ever since we've had our our uh, church, we've always had a prayer meeting uh, on Saturday morning or, or at night, every week for one hour. And I'm telling you what, you can get a lot of praying done in an hour. So we read a chapter. So if you want to come and join us for that, that would be great. All right. So I'm going to ask you to stand again, if you would, just for a short passage that we're in, but we'd like to stand for the word of God. God said he, he exalts his word above his name. That's how important this is. So in Mark chapter 7, in verses 24 through 30. We're going to talk about hope, humility, and persistence this morning. So from there, he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted to, no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the little children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Let's pray. In fact, you know what, I, I was reading something this week, and, and here's a prayer that, that this person suggested as far as when we give ourselves to the word. Lord, teach us, let's pray. Lord, teach us what we do not know. Give us what we do not have. Make us what we are not yet. Lord, that's a great prayer. Your word is alive and powerful. We know that it's the spirit of God that works through the word of God to change our lives and how we long to grow in our, in our salvation, sanctification. We also know that the gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. 
So, Lord, even as we're giving the word out, we know you're speaking to each and every person that's in earshot of this, whether they know you or not. But our prayer as believers in this room is that you would draw those who don't know you by your word, by these truths, and bless them, Lord. Bless their souls, please, in salvation. So all that you have for us, Lord, give us ears to hear now. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You can be seated. So from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted to, no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. So Jesus was planning to get away and be alone with his disciples that they might rest. In fact, in Mark 6, 31, he said just that. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. He said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. But here's, the, here's maybe you can relate to this. You probably can. For there were, there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And our hurried culture doesn't give us time many times to eat or eat on the run. So he wanted to do that, but it proved to be extremely difficult for obvious reasons. Jesus was healing the sick. He was feeding the multitudes. He was working mind-blowing wonders. And thus, anywhere he went, once it was known... The multitudes flocked to find him and his disciples. Now, this is an initial thought that comes to mind when I read this verse. If Jesus arose and has now entered into our lives, should it not be said of our lives, he could not be hidden? Should that be true? It should be true of our lives. In other words, someone put it this way. If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, I look at this room and I say, yes, plenty of evidence. But really, in your heart before the Lord, is there that evidence? Is there that testimony that Jesus lives in your life? He is your master. Has he visibly changed your life? So that those you spend regular time with know that you're a believer. At home, which is the most telling place. At work, at school, and of course, at McDonald's. <laughs> Every morning I ride through that, that take-in. Now, two of his disciples, all of them really, but two of them, were so changed that they had this wonderful indictment. In Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceive that they were uneducated and untrained men. That's how they are. They're just fishermen. They're nothing. They marveled at what they were seeing, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. See, that's the difference. It's all the difference. If we're not spending time with him, it's not going to begin to rub off on us and change our lives and transform us. It's a personal relationship. This is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. If we're not spending time with him, if he's not the priority in our lives, we're, that, that change is going to dissipate if it if even happened at all. Are you spending time with him? Are you getting away to be with him? You know, the book of Acts is a continuing story of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. It's as, in that book, it's as seen through the lives of the disciples. They loved Jesus. They preached Jesus. 
They taught Jesus. They lived Jesus. They turned the world upside down for Jesus. Would to God that would be the ending for my life. The impact that my so that's just a thought that to take from this passage. He entered a house and he wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Now again, he didn't want people to know it because he wanted. I believe part of it was he wanted to, be, to rest himself and then also with his disciples. Even though Jesus always had time for those in need, the twelve disciples remained Jesus' priority throughout his earthly ministry. He was training them to carry on the work of the gospel of the kingdom of God. He was handing off to them a responsibility as his apostles to take the gospel and the doctrine into the world to reach them. However, this priority was never exclusivity. It was not exclusive to just them. As we've seen, he always had time for those in need. And let me say this to you. He has time for you. That's not the question. The question is, are you making time for him? A huge part of his training of the disciples was to teach them just that, to follow his example of being available and ready to minister to those in need. He called them to himself. And they were a very special group of men so that he could send them out to reach a world that God loved, always. To reach the poor, to reach the prisoner, to reach the sinner, to reach the sick, to reach the lost and the lame and those who are deaf and those who are blind, as he laid it out for us in Luke 4, verse 18. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he rolled up that synagogue in his hometown and gave it to and all the eyes were fixed on it. He said, this is me. And he's handing this off to us, to his disciples and us as well. When God called Abraham, he called him and his descendants, which is the nation Israel, to be a blessing to all nations. He separated them out to send them out in order that through them, God would reach the world with his love, with his goodness, yes, with his righteousness, yes, with his holiness, a special people. It was never because God had rejected the world. In Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How? Through Christ's coming, Jesus came. It was through Abraham and the nation Israel. But to them, what happened is they missed it. Over the course of time, they came to believe they themselves as God's exclusive group out of which, outside of which no others were accepted unless you became a Jew. The Gentiles, which are the non-Jews, were seen as dogs. 
They were dangerous, ravenous, wild scavengers, dogs that were to be avoided and rejected. And so this encounter with this Syrophoenician woman surfaces these kinds of issues. Jesus could not be hidden because of a desperate Gentile mother. Verse 25, a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him, which literally is she kept asking him, kept asking him, kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. You can just imagine the desperation. Some impossible thing in your life, some impossible thing with a son or something like that. And here she's crying out. Now, there are three things that she, she heard about him. It was hopeful. He was her hope, which is the title. Secondly, she came and fell at his feet. There was her humility. But here's where I'm going to focus more this morning. She kept asking, I would say she kept bugging him. <laughs> she kept asking him her persistence. Are you persistent? You see, that is an exercise of faith. We get more details in Matthew's account of this. 15, 22, and behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. So she knew a little more about him than just, oh, he's a miracle worker. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. And so there's this, this, it seems to be she, that the disciples were begrudging her the access. Then it says in verse 24, but he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Sorry. Then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. She would not be deterred. So this seems so unlike Jesus, doesn't it? It's so he's ignoring her. However, if it appears to be contrary to the character of Jesus, then there must be another very good explanation, and there is. Our Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God. God does not change. He is who he is in character and nature that never changes. He is perfect. Perfect in love and righteousness and all those things. Now, it also appears that the disciples were in between. Maybe they're not blocking her, but they're certainly not allowing her. They're, they're saying, Jesus, would you, she keeps coming to us. Here's what I look at, I see in this. Jesus is not ignoring her and wanting her to go away. That is not what's going on here. He is drawing her to himself in believing. Let me say it again. He is drawing her to himself in believing. She has some understanding. She even says that. She knows who he is. She's coming to him, and he's her hope, her only hope. And he's drawing her to himself in believing. How does that work? He is giving her 
this desperate situation the time needed to bring about a full expression of faith in him. Have you ever experienced difficulties, impossibilities? Do you see those things in God's hands as being means by which he's drawing you to himself in believing, not in unbelief, but in believing? What do you know? What do you have now? What do you have about you? You're coming in believing certain things, but he's going to take that to a deeper level of faith in who he is. He's going to give this full expression, and it's going to be manifested then in a testimony. How does he build our testimony? He draws us to himself in the things that we believe, in believing that becomes a testimony to his immeasurable power, his provision, and the things that he only can do, and he does do it. Now, as far as healing, demon possession, those things have their mysterious parts. Because why doesn't God heal everyone? We had a prayer meeting. It was great, actually, Wednesday night. We prayed for a lot of people to be healed on Wednesday night. I don't understand that. I'm not trying to figure out how that works. I just know this. My God is able My God is good. My God is gracious. My God is merciful. And my God is all wise. And what he allows in our lives that brings us to desperation. But I find myself more often than not saying, this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be going like it's going. Hold on a second. Hold on. Could it be that the things I know about God are drawing me to him again in this situation to take me deeper. I say wholeheartedly, you bet, because I know my God. I know who he is. So she heard her hope. She came and fell down, her humility. And then she kept asking her persistence. I want to encourage each and every one of this morning, Be persistent with God. Stay at it with him. Let let those things draw me, draw you to himself to nurture our faith in who he is and maybe how I need to yet see him and what's going on. He could not be hidden. She is like a persistent friend that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 11. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And so Jesus gave him a pattern. When you pray, say, would you say this with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's, we've heard that, I grew up in Baptist church every week, every week. King James. Now notice what Jesus goes on to say. I say to you, though he will not rise, excuse me, verse 5. And he said to her, which of you have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him. So he's explaining, he's giving context for praying. And once you have a friend, go out to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. 
And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. In other words, can't you just wait till the morning? My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise to give you. No, no, notice what Jesus said. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, brothers and sisters, Jesus, I say to you, ask. In other words, keep on asking. And it will be given to you. Seek. Keep on seeking and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And he, to him who knocks, it will be open. Can you take that, just that word right there, just plant it in your heart. Ask, seek, knock. Ask and keep asking. What do you need? What's the provision necessary? What do you need? Seek. What questions do you have? Keep asking them. Knock again. What direction do you need this morning? Keep knocking. See what doors, because God opens doors and he closes doors. So she's like that. Now he goes on to say this. If a son asks for bread from a father among you, will he give him a stone? Here, chew on this, kid. Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, I love those three words that appear often in the Bible, how much more will your heavenly Father give notice, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him? What is our greatest need? Our greatest need is the Holy Spirit overseeing our lives, governing our lives, directing our lives, answering the questions we have in our lives, the provision we need. It's the Holy Spirit. And so the believer, when born again, you believers in this room, you have received the Holy Spirit of God. How much more will your Heavenly Father not give what? The most needed person we have in our whole life, the Holy Spirit. How do you get that? Oh, you work really hard and maybe he'll come and help you. No, no, you ask. And God will give you the Holy Spirit in, in salvation. Now, if you're here and listening, you don't know the Lord, you've never been born again by the Spirit of God, then these things are a little bit mysterious, aren't they? But let me tell you, it's the greatest mystery, mystery that God wants you to discover. That we are born again by the Spirit of God. The wind blows where it wills. You can't tell where it's coming from, where it's going. But let me say something about being born again by the Spirit of God. Something changes and it's visible. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. And the effects of the wind of the Holy Spirit is, I am a saved, changed man. I am in peace with God. I have the peace of God. How? Because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in my life as a believer. So she's not only like this persistent friend, she's also like the persistent widow. Then he spoke a parable to them. Now, it's interesting. Jesus gives these parables, lengthy discussions about praying, asking, seeking. He gives them to us in, in, in a couple of these detailed parables. So in Luke 18, by the way, it's interesting because two weeks ago, Saturday, this was the chapter we were reading. And then we had the prayer meeting Wednesday night. This chapter came in again for our, for our encouragement in 
being persistent with God in the things that are going on in our lives. He had, that meant always to pray and not lose heart. Therefore, if I'm not praying, I'm going to lose heart. Say, there was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God or regard man, yet because this widow troubled me, in other words, she is a pain in the neck. <laughs> and let me say, this hardened old judge has met his match in his widow. He says, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wears me out. I say to you, you can't wear God out. But we need to wear ourselves out in being persistent in coming to him with everything that's going on in our lives. Everything. Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? He allows these things, they go on. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he, will he really find faith on the earth? Are we going to be believing God? This is not a parable of comparison, but contrast. He is not like the unjust judge. It's not a parable about pestering God in prayer, but about believing God in prayer. It's not about convincing God, but about trusting God. It's not about this whole idea of fighting God in prayer. No, prayer is always for the purpose of me aligning, of God aligning me with his will and his heart. It's about having faith in God and asking and seeking and knocking, and being persistent with him, as this woman was in our story this morning. This is not a parable about the indifference of God. It's a parable about the difference that God wants to make through prayer. Coming to him. So Jesus never ignoring you or wanting you to go away. Would you say amen to that? He is never ignoring you or wanting you to go away. However, in the Christian life and in these you know, relationships with God, there are times like with Job, I look to the right, he's not there. I'm trying to find God. Where's God in all this stuff? That happens. That's a part of it. He's drawing us to himself in believing. As with Job, Job was pretty intense. And at the end of the whole thing, as James tells us, was God blessed Job twice as much, drawing us to himself in believing. Do you believe that? That Jesus is drawing you to himself, no matter what your level of faith, no matter what your knowledge, to a deeper faith in him. He's bringing about in your life a full expression of faith that you didn't have before this situation, this person, this uh, circumstance. Oh, that is so encouraging to me. That God is faithful to do in my life. The way that he does it is the reason it works. Because God knows what he's doing. She heard about him. That was her hope. She came and fell at his feet in humility before God. She kept asking her persistence. So Jesus said to her, 
Let the, little, let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dog. What's going on here? This looks like, first it seems always ignoring her, and now it seems like he's really very demeaning. Once again, if it sounds like it's out of character, then there must be another explanation. The word used for dogs is not the dangerous, ravenous, scavenger dogs. That were to be feared, that were to be avoided, that were to be put out. Rather, the word Jesus uses here is the little puppy dog. Oh. The cute little house dog, the pet. Everyone in the house loves him. The setting here is of a family sitting down to eat a meal. And there's the pet. <laughs> she answered and said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. So Jesus actually says her insight and understanding is incredible. He says in Matthew, then Jesus answered and said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus, great is your faith. Her insight, understanding, amazes even Jesus himself. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone and her daughter lying on the bed. Wow. So what's the picture here? These children at the table. Jesus is saying she's a lovable part of a bigger family. She's like that little puppy dog. Now, you're not supposed to feed the dog under the table. The crumbs fell. Now, again, the picture is the Jews had God's first priority. They were never his only priority, ever. But the children representing Israel, representing God's people, I was not saying about to the children of Israel. They had the first priority. They were a very special people, but not to the exclusion of any other people. When the Jews then rejected Jesus, God was not done with the Jews to the Gentiles. Let me say it again. When the Jews rejected Jesus, God was not done with the Jews to the Gentiles. What do I mean by that? Along comes this devout Jewish rabbi. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was concerning the law of Pharisee. He was persecuting the church. He was so zealous for what he thought were the things of God. But then what happened? This Jewish rabbi met Jesus. He turned his world upside down, right side up, and then set him on his feet again. A Jewish rabbi. God called him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Never to the exclusion of the Jews. While Paul and Barnabas are going on their missionary journey, this was the thing that they always ran up against. The Jews are saying, there's no way. You cannot be accepted by God except you become a Jew. And they were fighting that the whole way along. Wednesday night, we begin a study in Paul's letter to the Philippians. He's going to be addressing these same things. He says there, beware of dogs. 
Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Now, he's speaking about these dogs. He's warning the Philippian believers to beware of the Judaizers who would exclude everyone who is not a Jew. And they were going about as ravenous dogs, really, that's how Paul saw them, shaking these, these things out, telling them, you have to become a Jew or you're not going to be accepted by God, much less saved. So the Jews were God's priority, but never his only priority. And God is not done with Israel. He's not done with them. And he answered and said to her, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table. So she accepts the fact that Jesus would be perfectly right in declining her request. No, she had no grounds upon which to demand it. She just wanted the crumbs. And I think of that when I think of our persistence our hope, our humility, our persistence. Who am I to demand anything from God? God would be perfectly just to send me to hell. He didn't do that. Even the little dogs, get this, even in the extremities of her desperate need, this woman's faith sees her need as nothing more than the crumbs that fall <laughs> from the table. All my life you have been faithful. All my life has been so, so good. Why is that? Why does God include me? Why does he include you? See, she doesn't see this need as an interruption of God's priorities, but included in them. She doesn't see this, her need as a contradiction to God's promises. She sees herself included in them. What a fantastic faith. She believed that Jesus would meet her need, and Jesus did it. They say, Lord, please, restore you as my only hope, come what may. Lord, Grant me repentance that I humble myself and say, who am I? Why me? Why include me in, in this fantastic story, God's story, the gospel? She believed Jesus meet her need, and indeed he did. Her hope. Let me say this. For the Christian, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is an assurance that we have by faith in things not yet seen. Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith in this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's the hope. What? In the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Really? Yeah. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, persistence. 
and perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope, look at it, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope. Lord, restore our hope. Refresh our hope. Renew us in our hope, in our humility, in coming to you completely needy and crying out in persistence and asking and asking and asking. Do you believe that? Jesus is never ignoring you or wanting you to go away. He's drawing you to himself in believing. In believing. Would you stand with me? Let me pray as the worship team comes out. And Lord, we're so thankful for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and how you are kind beyond all measure. There's none like you, none in all the earth. And so, Lord, we, our hope is in you. It's through what we look at when we see the cross and Jesus, even Philippians, we'll be studying that. Humbled yourself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We look there and it humbles us, God, to think that you would send your only son to die on a cross that we might be forgiven, saved, sanctified, and one day glorified. So, Lord, please, hear our persistence this morning. Maybe we're just persisting here. Say, Lord, increase our faith. Whatever it is, Lord, draw us to yourself in believing. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen.